Okay, so let's just read Revelation 10. It's not very long. I think it is good to just kind of read these chapters during our time together, uh, just because they can be a little confusing. So it's all, it, I don't think we can read them too much. So let's just read together Revelation 10. Follow along with me. Try to challenge yourself to read this book uh, in a way that the first century Christians would have. Don't spend all your time trying to break everything down to where, to where you miss the main point of what's being said. So let's start with verse number 1 of Revelation chapter 10. The Bible says, I saw, John the Apostle says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was opened. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there be, that there be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven... I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter." And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. All right, before we start breaking down with all those verses or what those verses are trying to tell us, let's just remind ourselves, let's remind ourselves of some important things that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds as we go through texts like this. We need to keep in mind some of the guideposts here. These guideposts are so important, especially when you get to parts of the book like this. We need to remember that Revelation is written in a unique way. This is an apocalyptic book, signs and symbols. This is not, this is not a book that is meant to be read like other books from the New Testament. It is signified. We learned that in the first verse of the book. It has a time frame. The majority of the prophecies in this book were to take place when? Shortly. Shortly from the perspective of who? The original audience. It's got to mean something to them first before it means something to us. So it's going to take place soon. Soon doesn't mean 2,000 years. God knows how to tell time. Soon doesn't mean 2,000 years. These things were going to shortly come to pass, shortly from the perspective of the early Christians. The audience, and Lance, you just said it, is the seven churches. We know that. The churches that were in the hot zone of the Roman persecution and the background. What's going on with the Christians at this time? What are they going through? They're, being, they're going through severe persecution. 
Now, now that we've got those guideposts in, in our minds again, let's, let's try to break the text down. Now, remember, we just finished chapters 8 and 9. That was the, uh, the first six trumpets. The first six trumpets sounded God's warning judgments. Chapter 9 concluded with the sounding of the sixth trumpet. In keeping with the pattern we find in these series of seven, chapters 10 through 11, follow with an interlude. There's a pause, a break in the action. This break in the action is designed to give comfort and hope to God's people, to the people of God during these difficult times. We need to keep this in mind as we interpret the visions of the interlude. So let's go through the text. Now, as you, as you go back to the last two verses of chapter 9, Go back to the last two verses of chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Did the people, after the first six trumpets were blown, okay, did the people that those judgments came upon or come upon, did they do what God wanted them to do? Did they do what they were supposed to do? What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to repent. They're supposed to repent of their wickedness and turn to God and stop persecuting his people. They didn't do that. We see that clearly in verses 20 and 21. These people did not repent. That is very important to remember that as we go into this, this chapter here, chapter 10. Now, as we start with chapter 10 and verse 1, we're introduced to a strong angel. The strong angel comes down from heaven. He comes down from heaven. He's described in a very apocalyptic way, isn't he? He's clothed in a what? He's clothed in a cloud. He has a rainbow where? On his head. And he has feet like what? Pillars of fire. So he is described in a very apocalyptic way. He is described as someone who has divine authority. He has authority from God to do something very important. Now, in the hand of the angel is a what? A little book. Now, tell me about this book. Is the book closed? Is it opened? It's open. Now, contrast that to the book that's introduced to us in Revelation chapter 5. Which book was introduced to us? And if you have to turn back there, that's okay. Which book are we introduced to in Revelation 5? Which book is in the book of in God's hand in Revelation 5? With that has the what? Seven seals. Now tell me about that book. That book that was in the right hand of God in Revelation 5 that only who could open? Only the Lamb could open. Was that book open or closed? It's closed. It's sealed. And the only one that can break it is Jesus. So that book is sealed. It's closed. And only Jesus can open that book. This book is different. This is a little book. And this book is already open. It's already opened. Now this little or this strong angel who has this little book that's already open. Where is this angel located? How does the scripture define his location? He's, his foot, where are his feet? All right, so he's got one foot on the sea, one on the land. That's symbolic for something. What do you think that's symbolic of? Basically bridging the entire earth. Yes. Somebody said something else? Yes, I think that's right. 
bridging the whole earth. I think this represents the whole. This, this, is a, this is a message. This book contains a message for the whole earth. Sea and land is the earth, right? And I think that's what this is symbolic for. I think this is signifies, at least some scholars suggest, that this signifies him having one foot on the sea or in the sea and one on the land, that his message is going to be for the whole earth. It's gonna be. It's gonna be for everybody. Yes, sir, brother Don. I don't want to get ahead of you. Don't go too. Yes, please don't. <laughs> we need to keep this in mind when we get to the peace. Yes. One on land, one on yes. Oh, no, no, that's fine. We can go that far. That's fine. People will forget what you said by by the time we get there. No, no, that's no. You're right. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. That's right, sir. Absolutely. This is the same kind of thing, Don. You're right about that. So, so remember that. So you guys are right on the money with this, at least in my view. I think he's got a message for the whole world, seeing land. Now he's going to cry, and he's going to cry loud, and his cry is going to be like a what? Verse 3, like a roaring lion. He's got a powerful voice. He's got a powerful roar because he's announcing something. He's announcing, and listen carefully, He's announcing more judgments from God. That's what he's announcing here. He's announcing more judgment from God. He is shouting like a lion, and as he shouts, seven what utter their voices? Seven peals of thunder. Seven peals of thunder utter their voices. Seven peals of thunder speak, but are we told what these peals of thunder actually say? We're not told. We don't know. We still don't know what they said. And why are we not told what they, what they said? God said, I don't want it to be known. God said, don't tell it. They spoke. They said something. But God did not want their words disclosed. Now, here's my question, and look at the text carefully. Why didn't God want their words dis disclosed? Because the scripture says, the verse, at the end of verse 3, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And John was about to write what they said. But someone told him, no, don't do that. A voice from heaven said, do not do that. Now, why do you think God doesn't want that revelation given? Oh, Gary, you said exactly what I wrote down. He's fed up. He's fed up. I don't want it. I don't want it said. I am fed up with these people. That's exactly right. He's fed up with Rome. He's fed up with these enemies. He's given them enough time to repent. And now guess what's coming? A storm. <laughs> In a storm, yes. Yes, a storm. That's God's storm is coming. God's storm is coming. The warnings are over. No more warnings. Look at verse number four. Look at verse number four. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which are the seven peals of thunder has spoken. Do not write them. This is God fed up here. And is it a good thing when God is fed up with you? That's never a good thing. That's the end of you. That's exactly right. Brother Lance, go ahead, sir. So, so whenever John was about to write, what, I'm, what that implies to me is John 
understood what they said. Yes. And my thoughts were that apparently, or maybe that was for John and John alone, or that whatever they were said, that he was not to write it down for people in the future. Maybe that was a message he was to deliver orally, but that's purely Well, let me tell you why, why I think John was not allowed to say this. It's because... My main point, though, is John understood. No, he understood it. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely right. But, but, but here's the thing that goes with what you're saying. The reason why John was not allowed to say it is because that message was an insignificant message now. And let me explain what I mean by that. Look at verse 6, because, because Lance just goes right in, what you're saying goes right into what we're going through in the text here. Verse 6 is the key. The seven peals of thunder. John understands them. John's about to write them. Okay, Lance? But the question is, what do they represent? Well, they represent something that God doesn't want to execute. They represent an insignificant message now. They represent more time God was going to give them. God was going to give them more warning judgments. But God changed his mind. Can God change his mind if he wants to? Absolutely he can. He's like, I don't, no, no, no more warnings. Because the seven peals, remember the, the first six trumpets, what did they represent? Warning judgments. They were warning judgments. They were, they were a revelation of warnings that God was going to give the people. And the seven peals of thunder were going to be more warnings, more time. But God says, no, no, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that. That's over. You don't get the seven peals of thunder. Don't even write that down. They're not going to get that. I'm fed up now. I'm fed up like you said. So let's look at that. A promise is made. The angel, the angel swears. He swears by who? Verse 6. He, he swears by God. A promise. That's what I mean when I say swear. A promise. He, he swears by the God who created all things, the one who is really in control of all things, not Rome. God's in control. He swears by God. He swears by who God is. He says that since the people would not repent, look at the end of verse 6, there will be what? No more delay. You see that? No more delay. No, I'm not waiting anymore. The seven peals of thunder were going to be more delayed. That was going to be more of God's grace. God says, I changed my mind. No more delay. Let's get to the seventh angel now. God says, I'm going to bring him into play now. Because when that seventh angel with that seventh trumpet comes in, you know what he's about, don't you? Because the seventh something always opens up what? Another series of seven. So the seventh trumpet, which, would have, which represents, remember the trumpets represented warning judgments. That seventh trumpet is going to open up the seven bowls of wrath. And the seven bowls of wrath is going to be the end of the empire. So that's where he, the seventh angel is coming in. So let's look at the seventh angel here. Let's start with verse seven, verse seven there. The voice of the seventh angel. He's about to sound, isn't he? Uh-oh, he's the toughest one of all of them. We thought those other ones were bad. Remember those other six? <laughs> the seventh the seven one was tougher than all of them combined. He's about to sound. 
And his message was going to be a message was going to tell the tale on everything. The sounding of his trumpet, it was going to announce the final outcome. The final outcome to this battle. The prophet or the scripture, I'm sorry, says in verse seven that when the seventh angel sounded, the mystery of God is finished. You see that? As he preached to who? The prophets. I had to I had to study that a little bit. That was tough for me, Don, because when I think of the prophets there, I'm definitely going to Old Testament prophets. And I, and I have an answer I found that that was suitable for me on that. But maybe I would like just here and I'm not trying to trap anybody here because you may can help me with this a little bit. What do y'all think about that part where it talks about the seventh angel when he sounds? It's going to be a fulfillment of the words of the prophets. What do y'all think? Don, go ahead, sir. When you look at, at Isaiah, Hosea, and so on and so forth, preaching to Israel, you didn't learn from what happened in the northern kingdom. And you're not, you're not king. There was a slight change a few years later when the young king, but it didn't hold. And the word of God came through those prophets as warning. And then came Jeremiah. Right. And he preached, this is the end. Right. Babylon's coming. Raise up your hands and surrender because it's going. Right. So this was a similar message here to what the prophets did in the Old Testament. Now that's that's good. And I, and I saw several things on that. That's a good point. Brother Mitch, yes, sir. You see some similar language about heeding the word in Ezekiel 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Uh, he said, I send you among people kind of that, uh, that are like scorpions and there's briars and thorns. In other words, you're going to be in a tough spot about people with hard heads and you just got to be harder than they are. And, and if they listen, fine. If they don't, they don't prophesy. Let's read that, because that's a great point. Go to Ezekiel chapter 2, because I wrote that down in my notes. I wrote that down in my notes, and I think it's important to have that marked in our Bibles as we consider this, because this, what John is doing is very similar. Uh, it's not the very same thing that Ezekiel did in his time. Now, they're preaching to two different people, but they're still preaching to the people of God in a sense. But Ezekiel is preaching to a rebellious generation of God's people, the people of Israel, uh, those in, in, in captivity and those who are going to go into more captivity. And in Ezekiel 2 and verse 8, in Ezekiel 2 and verse 8, the Lord said to Ezekiel, now you son of man, and Ezekiel is commonly referred to as the son of man in this book. Listen to what I'm speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. That's God's people at this time, Israel. Open your mouth and eat. See that language there? Eat what I am giving you. Again, this is symbolic here. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. This is not a good message. It's not a positive Joel Osteen kind of message here. Chapter three, verse one. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Go speak to Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with the scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet. Remember that from Revelation. There it is. 
It was sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he says, son of man, go to the house of Israel, speak and speak my words to them. So, Mitch, I, I agree with you. I think what you find here is exactly parallel to what's going on in Revelation. Uh, and I want to say more about that in just a second. Before I do, can I take you all one more place real quick? Can I take you to Daniel? Can I take you to Daniel chapter 2? I want to take you to Daniel 2 real quick. Because in some way, the falling of Rome was going to be a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. Was going to be a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. Can you remember any place in the Old Testament where Rome was predicted to rise and fall? Daniel 2 is that place. Daniel 2.44. We're members of the Lord's church. Most of us are members of the Lord's church. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ. And look at verse 44. Remember here in Daniel 2, there's this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of this big statue. And each, each part of the statue represents a different world empire. Uh, there's Babylon, the head, and then the middle part is the Medo-Persians. Then you got the Greeks, and then the bottom part representing Rome. And God's point in that vision is to let Daniel know what's going to happen in, in world history and how you have all these kingdoms rise and fall according to his will. But in verse 44, Daniel 2, he says, in the days of those kings. Now, contextually there, the days of those kings is a reference to what is being talked about beginning in verse 40. And in verse 40, the Roman Empire is under consideration. The fourth world kingdom, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, and then Rome. And in the days of Rome, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. What's that kingdom? That's church. Isn't that what happened? Was not the church established in the days of the fourth kingdom, according to the New Testament? Remember, when the Old Testament closes in Malachi, the Medo-Persians are in control of the world. But all of a sudden, when the New Testament opens up, you got the Romans who are in control. So 400 years have gone by and you've gone from Medo-Persian to the Greeks and Alexander the Great and his work. And now the Romans are in control and the Lord set up his kingdom in Acts 2 in the time of Rome. So the prophecy came to pass. This kingdom will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left to other people. It's going to crush notice and put an end to what? All these kingdoms. And it will itself, itself endure forever. Now, the language there, just to make it simple, because we're going to run out of time tonight. But simply put, this language just means that God's kingdom was going to outlast the kingdoms of the world. God's kingdom is eternal. We don't go to battle as far as physical battle against the kingdoms of the world. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. We fight with the word of God. And no matter what happens, as the earthly kingdoms rise and fall, the Lord's kingdom will always stand. It will prevail. It will prevail when the world is no more. So this in a, is, is what the, the prophets talked about, how even a dominant kingdom like Rome was not going to outlast God's kingdom. And if the people of God had been mindful of that, which maybe they were, that could have comforted them too, knowing the prophecy of Daniel. How Daniel already told them that no kingdom will outlast God's kingdom. God was going to win. He said that all the way back in the prophets in the Old Testament. Daniel 2.44. Brother Gary. Yes, sir. Just to go along with that and sum it up, in Amos 3, God says that he doesn't do anything like this without telling you the prophet. 
Yes, it's coming through the prophets. This is nothing new here. The prophets already announced this. So I believe that when you go back to Revelation 10 and verse 7, as the God preached this through the prophets already, and what's, what's going on here with even the seven bowls of wrath is a fulfillment of prophecy of God's kingdom outlasting the kingdoms of the world, even that fourth kingdom, that Roman kingdom. Now, let's get to this little book now. Let's talk about this little book, verses 8 through 11, because this is going to go with what Mitch had brought up. This little book. In the hand of the angel that's on the sea and land, it's a little book. John is told to do what with the book? He's told to eat it. Eat the book. I want you to eat the book. Now, let's go through this slow. How was the book going to make his stomach feel? It's going to make his stomach feel bitter. We saw which prophet had a similar task. Ezekiel did. Ezekiel already had something, already had to do this. He did it back in Ezekiel too, with Israel. So there's a huge sense in which John and Ezekiel did the same thing. But let me just say this. There's a huge sense in which we're doing the same thing today. Do we not eat, not the little book here, but we eat a book? We're supposed to be, aren't we? What book are we supposed to be constantly consuming? The word of God. We're eating it. And I submit that that, 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 that which we're eating is bittersweet. It's a bittersweet. It's a bittersweet message. Let me tell you what I mean. Because this message John ate and this message Ezekiel ate was a bittersweet message. Sweet to the mouth, bitter to the stomach. So what does that mean? Well, God's word and let's just talk about us for now. The gospel. That's a sweet message. Doesn't gospel mean good news? Blessed are the feet are those who go and preach the good news. Why is the gospel good news? Because it talks about salvation. It gives the best news in the world. It gives the message that we can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, to really appreciate the good news, you got to first know the bad news. The bad news is we're sinners. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to be lost forever. But thankfully, God saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's the best news you'll ever hear in your life. Is the fact that you can be saved by the gospel. And that's what we go preach to people. We go preach good news to people. But is the gospel message just a sweet message? It's also a bitter message. Why is it a bitter message too? If you don't accept it, you get eternal punishment. The Bible says also that the wages of sin is death. The Bible also says in Matthew 25, 46, that you have some go to eternal life and some to eternal judgment or eternal damnation. So it is a sweet message for those who obey it and respond to it appropriately. And it is a bitter, terrible message for those who reject it. Do you see that there? It's bittersweet. Brother Don, yes, sir. Yes, that's John 6. Eat me. Yes, and it was bittersweet. They didn't, most of them took it as a bitter message. Paul went through the same thing in Acts. He's preaching under house arrest. Most take it in a bitter way. But that's exactly right. Brother Mitch.
so off. Husbands and wives. Um, that's bigger than the other Yes. And that's, exa- that's, that's exactly the point, Mitch. That's, that's how the gospel is a bittersweet message. It is a message of good news, but it also is a message that most, a lot of folks don't want to accept because they don't want to change their life. And as a result of that, they're going to experience a worse judgment than Rome experienced uh, in, in eternity. So that's the idea there. Somebody else had their hand up back there. Brother Kevin and then Lance, I saw you. Right. Right. Lance, go ahead, sir. The, uh, John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Right. It doesn't matter how good or bad the news is sometimes. It's just good to know the fact. Yep. And that, that's, I, I see the sweetness in the mouth. Just, just knowing what is, what is actual, factual, um, it, 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 it is of so much value sometimes. Whenever we're sick, we, we want to know that the doctor properly diagnosed us. And while it's that's a good to know what's actually wrong, it, sometimes when the truth sets in, like the state of your soul is lost, it, it can be bitter. Uh, An empire is going to fall. That's going to be bitter. But with, with all the things that are going on, it's been revealed to John here what the truth is. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. So before my time runs out here, I want to I want to finish the rest of this here because y'all y'all making great comments and I really appreciate it. So let me put it this way. The bittersweet part of the message depends on who's on on the audience. It's good for one audience it's bad for another audience. That's the point. It's good for one audience. It's bad for another audience. It's good for the people of God. John's going to tell them we're going to win. That's the sweet part. The bitter part is these people are going to be lost. They're going to they've rejected God and they're going to receive punishment. Good for one group, bitter for the other group. It's all about who's on the receiving end of the message. So. Let's look at verse 11. I believe verse 11 tells us about the rest of John's life. I think this is the fate of John. Verse 11 says that after John ate this book, what was he supposed to do from here on? He was supposed to go and do what? Go and preach. Go prophesy. This message of Revelation, John, you're going to spend the rest of your life telling it. You're going to spend the rest of your life telling this bittersweet message. You're going to encourage God's people with it. And you're going to pierce the souls of those who reject it. That's what that's what John's life is going to be about. It's going to be a bittersweet work. Brother Rick. Yes, sir. John, something that I noticed was John was told 
Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that is an excellent distinction to see there. That, that is exactly right. So let's see if we can simplify this a little more. God has given these people time to repent. He sent judgments that were designed to cause them to repent. They refused to. God doesn't force people to serve him. That's not how he set this thing up. Now, could God force people to serve him? Of course he could. But that's not how he decides to do it. He decides to make a creation that will choose to love him. That's what he wants. And these people chose not to. They, they refused to repent. Seven peals of thunder symbolize judgments God could have sent. More warning judgments he could have sent, but he didn't. He said, I'm not going to do that. No more warning judgments are going to be given. From that, we see that God is patient, but his patience has limits. His patience has run out. The little book contains information about the seventh angel about yet to sound. That's what the little book is all about. It's about what he's about to say. The seventh angel is the key. He's going to reveal the final outcome to this battle. And the little book contains his message. It contains the message of the rest of Revelation. And, and remember, this book is very different than the book of chapter 5. The book of chapter 5 was sealed and contained the overall message of Revelation, but this book is open and it contains more of a specific message. It contains the message of judgment upon the enemies. That's what this book contains. The message of the little book would be both good and bad. It's going to be a good message and a bad message. It's going to be good for the people of God. We're going to win. I'm going, we're, I'm going to tell you that we're going to win this battle, but it's going to be bad for those who reject it. It's a bittersweet message. And let me just say this. For every preacher, every time we get in the pulpit and preach and teach, it's bittersweet every time. It's always bittersweet. It's, it's sweet because I'm encouraging God's people uplifting God's people, but it's bitter because a lot of folks reject what I have to say, and as a result, they'll be lost if they don't change at some point. It's always bittersweet. It's always bittersweet to preach on Matthew 19 and what, Bible, what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It's always bittersweet to talk about biblical worship and to talk about what the Bible says about things like homosexuality and, and these pervasive sins in our culture. That's bittersweet. Sometimes there is some enjoy, uh, enjoyment in it. You're preaching the truth. and A lot of people accept it here. But if I go out in the world and preach that, they ain't going to receive it like y'all receiving it. They ain't going to cheer me on and say amen when I speak against homosexuality. They're going to reject it and call me a bigot. And they're going to persecute me. And they'll do the same to you. It's a bittersweet message. His sounding will enforce the defeat of God's enemy, of the defeat of God's enemies. Towards the end of chapter 11, and we're going to get in chapter 11 next time, that seventh angel is going to sound. And when that seventh angel sounds, his message is God's going to wipe out all the enemies. All the enemies. Someone says, what enemies? Well, these enemies we're about to get into. We're about to get into these enemies. We're about to get introduced to the four enemies of Revelation, the dragon, the sea beast, the earth beast, and the harlot. These are the four characters about to be introduced to us, 
And the seventh angel's message is God's going to wipe out every one of them one by one. That's the message of the seventh trumpet. These characters here, these enemies, will be defeated throughout the rest of the book. And so where we're at right now is we've seen the warning judgments, the first six trumpets. But in chapter 10, we learn no more warnings, no more warnings. You're not going to get these seven peals of thunder. Judgment is coming. Now, when we get to chapter 11, the interlude continues and we're going to get a summary of the battle. We're going to get a look behind the curtain. We're going to get just a, a quick summary of what God's going to do to those oppressing his people. But the main thing I just want you to take away from this is no more time is given. Judgment is coming and John's going to go preach it. He's going to go preach this judgment of God and it will be bittersweet. It's going to be sweet to the people of God and bitter to the enemies. Bittersweet message. That's what chapter 10 is about, at least, at, least in, at least in my study and understanding of it. So is there any final comments about chapter 10? I know that was a lot to chew on, but I appreciate y'all hanging in there with me. Brother Gary, yes, sir. For anybody to go with what you're saying who thinks God's being too tough, just go back and study Revelation 8 and 9. God gave these people time. He gave them time, but God knows people's hearts. And he knew those next seven peals of thunder, they weren't going to do those people any good. God knew that. So he's like, why even continue this any longer? God's patience has limits. He was good enough to even give them a chance. They refused it. Now God says you're going to get what, you, what you're asking for. Uh, anything else, anyone? Are we good? 384. 384. Yeah, yeah, from the prophet, right? It's oh, yes, yes. Okay, let's stop there. We'll pick up with Revelation 11 on Sunday. Thank y'all very much. I appreciate it.